นโมทัสสะภะวะทุอะระหะทุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทุอะระหะทุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะวะทุอะระหะทุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามัสสังฆังนามัสังฆ It, uh, it strikes me how uh, often we hear people going on about cultivating samadhi, and and uh, interest. Everybody's interested in wisdom, but uh, these uh, the way the Buddha presented the Dhamma it was um, before samadhi and panya. There's sila and the cultivation of sila. Um, well, in my own experience and my own study and observation, is profoundly relevant and uh, worthy of contemplation. Personally, I find it very inspiring in uh, in our Buddhist community life when people formally take the precepts. There's the five precepts, the eight precepts, the ten precepts, two hundred twenty-seven precepts. So it indicates that people are paying attention to the foundation of practice, yeah. not just talking about the nice bits. And like you know, sometimes when we have Guests staying in the monastery, and and they'll ask if they could formally request the refuges and precepts, and I always find that very uplifting and encouraging. When they ask if they can go on about their samadhi experiences, I kind of feel like yawning. So the 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 five precepts is not is not. The most scintillating bit of the training of the teachings, but as I said, it's it's, it's understood to be foundational. And and like at the end of taking, for instance, the five precepts, is that that short uh, phrase in Pali, we have "Silena sukha tingyanti, Silena poka sampada, Silena nibu tingyanti, Tasama silang wisotiye." Which translates as sila conduces with happiness. Sila conduces with good fortune. Sila conduces with liberation. Therefore, may sila be purified, or may sila be cultivated, developed. Tasama silang wisotiye. So this. In daily life, we can see equivalent examples of how important it is, and I think it can help us and encourage us in in our contemplation of the 
the importance of sila. Like, for instance, this business of building the island down at the lake that a lot of us have been involved in lately. The bit that we want to look at, or the bit that I'm interested in, is the things we plant on top. You know, I want to, thinking about the shrubs we can plant for the birds to nest under so the foxes and the ferrets can't come and eat them. And that's the interesting bit. But so far all we've been doing is filling bags with cement and talking about getting barrels to float out there to sink. And you know, how boring. Uh, it's all under the water. Nobody sees it. Nobody's ever going to thank us for it. Nobody's ever going to remember us for it. It's the bit that's above the water. That's the fun bit. But without the foundation, <laughs> our island would disappear, right? You know, there was a little island down there. Somebody enthusiastically built this rather ugly raft thing covered in blue plastic. And, and sure enough, the first storm that came along broke its, broke its moorings and it ended up down the other end of the lake. All the soil washed off it and there's this ugly bit of rubbish sitting down there. It didn't have a foundation. And if practice doesn't have a foundation, then we're vulnerable. So this is, uh, this is not just uh, something, this is not just me talking about, this is something the Buddha talked about, the importance of the place of getting the foundation right, you know, the sense of, of the, a secure base. Before we start getting high, before we start potentizing consciousness, to check to see, have we got the foundations in place? And so this is how personally I understand well, the place of cultivating sila and the importance for purifying sila is we can have sort of good enough sila, but you know, that maybe is not really good enough once we start building up intensity. You, know, you start potentizing the mind, start going on retreat and practicing renunciation and developing intensity and we haven't got a really good foundation to see the world, things can go wrong, and things do go wrong. And I can still remember very well myself in my years before I became a monk, and at the time living, living in Australia and in Sydney, and I was, I'd done my first meditation retreat, and I was in the, the first flush of a fundamentalist Buddhist meditator, and enthusiastic about this, exercise that you can do and everybody should be doing it and if you're not meditating you haven't got a life and and so on and I was getting a bit bit carried away with it all and um and I wanted uh, I was thinking about making a career of it like actually I was thinking about going to Japan and so I needed some money I don't I actually I confess I don't think I knew where Thailand was in those days I knew where Indonesia was and I knew where Japan was and Vietnam, I'd heard of Vietnam, but not much else. So I was heading for Japan and I needed some money, so I went to Sydney. And my cedar was not very good. And I got into some trouble. I, I, my beautiful meditation experiences were painfully contrasted with some very hellish experiences. And I remember at the time that I was in Sydney, I guess I was about 22 years old or something like that, thinking if ever I'm in a position of teaching people meditation, 
because of course I wanted to be a, a great teacher at that stage. I discovered this wonderful thing, and and I had this sort of, ever I'm in the position of teaching meditation, I'm really going to emphasize sila. Really this, the foundation, if we haven't got sense restraint in place, then, as I said, we can end up in, in difficulties. Yeah, really, it's like, it's like having a, um, you might have a really good computer, but if you haven't got good antivirus, you know, you've got some malware in there, the whole thing's gonna misfunction badly on you. And you, you wonder why the programs are crashing and things are not how they should be. And they say, well, we need this antivirus. We need a way of cleansing out the stuff that's not supposed to be there. And so it is with the, the heedlessness of our action of body and speech, we need ways of addressing this. And that's what sila practice is about, uh, learning the restraint, the ability to say no to ourselves when we need to say no. As I said, something that's spoken about a lot in the scriptures and, and the great teachers and and right back to the very beginning of Buddhism, and um, the Buddha emphasized the place of sila, and, and the whole Buddhist tradition in all schools of Buddhism. You see, for instance, and probably everybody has noticed how the Buddha image is always sitting on a lotus, and this lotus, this stylized lotus, doesn't really look much like a lotus, but and a stylized lotus is a symbol for sila. It's that which is beautiful, which grows up out of the swamp. If you live in Asia, you can see some pretty, pretty dirty, swampy areas, but with these beautiful lotuses in them, and they just grow up and rise above the swamp and, and are untouched by it. And so an image that the Buddha gave for, for those that understand the place of Sita, those that really understand the teachings, I like a lotus that comes up above the surface of the water and blossoms and is untouched, unsullied by it. And even though you're living in the world, uh, one can still uh, rise above it with the cultivation of sila. And, and it's important. So it's fundamentally important to understand this. When Ajahn Chah went to America, he came back from America and he was commenting on Westerners and he said, oh, you know, in Thailand here we... We teach sila, samadhi, panya, the stages of development. You've got to develop sila, then samadhi, then panya. He said, you can't do that in America. He said, Americans, they won't get it. They're not interested in sila. And first, you've got to teach panya. And once you've got them with panya, you inspire them with panya, then they start to develop some, some samadhi. And then once they're sitting up straight and their minds are a little bit clear, then they realize the place of sila. So whichever way we go at it, whether we are inspired and respect our spiritual teachers enough to heed what they say and, and we start cultivating sila and then developing samadhi and hopefully arriving in little panya, or whether we start the other way, and it doesn't really matter. Either way, cultivating purified sila is essential. So this word sila... And we hear a lot in the, in the Pali language, in the tradition, and, and, uh, when we translate it, I think it's important that we pay attention, we're careful to, if we're not using the word sila, we're using our own language, and, 
And most often, most of us will have heard the word sila translated as morality. Or maybe that's not the maybe that's not the only word that we can use. Personally, my preferred translation for sila is the word integrity. I think of morality, what comes to my mind is a whole bunch of rules and somebody being very judgmental. Somebody seriously powerful up there on the clouds looking down on me, threatening to give me a bad time if I don't behave myself. And uh, this external authority where you could say, well, that's a misunderstanding of the word morality and, and we could uh, all re-educate ourselves to using the word in a different way, that's true but it might take a long time before we do that. And But this word integrity, we contemplate the word integrity and what happens when you meet somebody, somebody who you feel has integrity, how do you feel in their company? Or if we ourselves cultivate integrity, if we do what we say we're going to do, if we're restrained in our body and speech, if we don't compromise integrity, there's a, there's a beauty in that. There's an intelligence in that. There's a harmony in that, an in integrity. You meet somebody who's got integrity and we have a sense of trust in their company. I can trust this person. They've got integrity. They're not going to hurt anybody. They're not going to hurt me. And so, similarly, if we cultivate integrity, not just good enough, not just a little bit of restraint here and there, but impeccable action of body and speech. We know what the boundaries are, we know what the five precepts are, and we make a resolution to stay within these boundaries. One of the things that comes out of that is the sense of trust, of confidence. I think I've spoken before about my advice to a lot of psychiatrists and psychotherapists who have patients come to see them in a serious state of confusion and and they make all sorts of recommendations, but I, I wonder how much they you know ask them to consider their actions of body and speech. Uh, probably I would think the first port of call would be to somehow find a way of encouraging people to reflect on the consequences of their actions of body and speech, not just to moralize and say this is how you should be if you're a good chap, whatever. Yeah. No, to use our minds to reflect wise and say, what if I compromise integrity, you know, cause harm? What happens if you, if you kill living beings? How does it feel when you kill in your heart, right? presume there's nobody here who does a lot of killing but for people who do do killing and or people who eat meat I my encouragement is not to necessarily moralize at them but to encourage them to go to an abattoir go to an abattoir and see what what it's like smell what's it smell like in an abattoir the killing industry is it beautiful is it beautiful or the mistreatment of animals, factory farming. Want to eat factory-produced chicken? Well, go to a factory farm and have a look and see. 
see one of these animals that can't even stand up. Is it beautiful? You know, by supporting the killing industry, you know, are we bringing beauty to the world? Are we bringing beauty to our own hearts? So I would think that a lot of the psychological difficulties that people suffer from are a direct and understandable consequence of compromising integrity. And so again, I emphasize this not to, to be heedlessly judgmental of people, but to encourage people to reflect on the consequences of their actions of body and speech. You know, if we're deceitful in our speech, say you're going to do something, one thing, and you do something else. In the community here, we often have the experience of, of um, builders who say they're going to do one thing, and then they do something else, they just don't turn up. Some of them, we've got one, he virtually sign his name in blood and say, yeah, I'll definitely do this and such. And he never turns up. Well, those are the, the values of the casual culture. That's, that's a lot of what happens in the world. But is it beautiful? And is it wise? Is it skillful? Well, from the perspective of those that can see directly the law of cause and effect, uh, from the perspective of the Buddha's wisdom and compassion, such action of compromising integrity uh, leads to suffering. And so certainly uh, taking that on board and, and considering for ourselves you know, the action of our, our body and speech, not just remembering what grandma told us or what was said at Sunday school and we got afraid if we didn't do it, but getting more considered than that and well do I really want to behave that way do I want to behave that way and is it beautiful and to read what it says in the scriptures there's a Dhammapada verse verse uh, verse 54 which says the fragrance of flowers and sandalwood blows only with the prevailing wind but the fragrance of virtue pervades all directions the fragrance of virtue pervades all directions is an image the Buddha wanted us to consider the power of virtue. The strength of virtue is another. We can contemplate the beauty of virtue uh, and the, the confidence that comes from, from cultivating sila. And also, I think it's worth uh, considering and dwelling on how the cultivation of sila brings strength. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, the you know the cool kids—they were the ones that you know they could go and smash the windows down at the <laughs> the railway station, and uh, or you know blow up the frogs at the quarry with crackers and whatever, and <laughs> and you know not not blink an eyelid. That was that was cool, and but that's what kids do. Hopefully, uh, as we grow up we realize, well, actually, it doesn't take a lot of effort to follow heedlessness. You know, you want to open your mouth and blurt out something unkind to somebody who just hurts you, that's pretty easy to do. It's pretty easy to follow the wild, unruly passions. It takes effort to say no. It takes effort to say no when you go shopping and you can't afford something. And it takes effort to be restrained. It takes effort to, when somebody tempts you into an argument, 
you know, when one of these kind of rabid fundamentalists comes to the door and starts preaching at you and, you know, can you invite them in for a cup of tea and be friendly? You know, or do you get carried away and having to prove that Buddhism is best? Or perhaps something even less virtuous than that, you know, arguing about football, yeah. or anything else that we can get pulled into. Can we say no? Can we say no to the impulse to get pulled into an argument? Or can we say no to the impulse to do self-promotion? You know, after we get caught up in self-promotion, going on exaggerating about how great we are, we don't feel so good. But why do we keep doing it? Why do we keep promoting ourselves and putting other people down? It's a lack of restraint. Well, it's a fundamentally important aspect of the spiritual training that we recognize a place of restraint on body and speech. We just say, well, there's a boundary there. You know, not going to harm living beings. Not going to take that which is not given. They're the five basic precepts set that up as a boundary and cultivate it impeccably. Yes, it takes effort. Yes, it's not easy, but the payback is considerable. You know, like with in meditation, you sit there meditating on the breath and the mind wanders and you bring it back and stay with it for a while. The mind wanders and you bring it back and you say, oh, here we are. What's the benefit of this endlessly bringing the mind back? It's, my meditation is so uninspiring. And, and then one day, you're not doing anything special and something happens and the normal reaction doesn't happen. There's a stillness, there's a clarity, there's a seeing, there's an understanding. Wow, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Well, that came from the restraint that we were cultivating before, that over and over and over again, bringing the mind back to the meditation object, bringing the mind back to the meditation object, kindly, patiently, refining down our skill, refining our commitment, bringing the mind back, no judgment, bringing the mind back, beginning again. That bringing the mind back is developing a spiritual muscle, you know, called Sangwara Indriya, or sense restraint. You know, that ability to contain. And we use the word restraint, that's also good. Uh, maybe the word containment is better, but whatever word works. That ability to inhibit the excessive exuberance of the passions. Now, if we're not willing to do that, we don't have the inclination or the ability, those are two different things, the inclination or the willingness and the ability, both need to be worked on, the willingness and the ability. We might be willing but not able. So the willingness, the interest, the recognizing the place of it and the ability, cultivating both dimensions. If we don't have the willingness and the ability to exercise containment with regards to body and speech, then it's very unlikely we're going to be able to do it in the mind. And so the compulsive story-making that goes on in our heads that's so energy-extravagant, so undermining, so tedious, we want to address it. Well, we address it at this level. I was mentioning earlier my experiences in Sydney. Yeah, I, I had some interesting experiences on initial working on the level of the mind, but I didn't know how to integrate it into my life. 
because I didn't have well-developed sila. So, contemplating the strengths that comes from it, it takes energy. We need to invest energy. It's not easy. That's another thing to, you know, like, oh, why should I have to, why should I have to restrain my impulses? If you feel like you'd like to stop suffering, well then, the way it works is we do need to. Yeah, it's um, sitting on your leather leather sofa with a bag of crisps and a tube of Fosters watching the telly is not going to do it. You know, I mean, anybody can do that. That's, that's easy to do. Yeah, but choosing... to exercise wise, careful, sensitive restraint on the level of body and speech and then on the level of mind takes effort. So I mention that because there is sometimes something in us that feels, well, why should it be so difficult? You know, particularly living in the monastery where we don't have a lot of distractions and you know, a higher level of sila training, whether it's the Anagarika or the Samanera or the Bhikkhu, the more precepts you take on, the more intense, the more difficult it is. And sometimes people think, why should it be so difficult? Well, difficult because of our heedlessness, our habits. It, actually, it should be difficult. Unless we're already born saints, and I don't know anything about that myself, but for the rest of us, it is difficult. But this is valuable work. You know, and one of the direct results of it, and you see, is an increase in self-respect. You know, we know what it's like when we compromise integrity. You know, if we don't distract ourselves and we get the message, it's an ouch. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I, I really wish I hadn't said that. I really wish I hadn't done that. It hurts. And, and if we don't compromise integrity and we exercise restraint, how does it feel? There's a strength that comes from that. There's a confidence and an increasability, you know, like decisiveness. Some people are so hesitant, they can't decide anything. They're always hesitating. And well, maybe there's a, some you know, area of the action of body and speech that could be improved. Or some people are so heedlessly indulgent, you know, they can't restrain themselves. Suck, 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 whatever's going on, they're right in there. You know, just can't restrain themselves and get themselves into trouble all the time. You know, well, with a little more precision and cultivation of integrity, we find that there's more self-confidence, strength for dealing with doubt and indulgence. Also in contemplating sila, I think, or finally, I'd like to consider um, how we can we can view sila practice, the cultivation of integrity, as a gift. Yeah. Sometimes we, so saying, it can be very difficult and tedious. And it takes a lot of effort and. But if we also consider what a, what, a, what a beautiful gift it is to give to the world, harmlessness. You look at people who, who you know don't compromise sila, people who are impeccable in their commitment to the precepts, 
You feel safe. You feel safe in a company. Whereas people who do compromise, people who take things that are not given, people who lie subtly or downright gross lies, that's sad, that's regrettable. And you contrast that with, as I said, you meet somebody who you know is completely reliable. You can trust them 100%. What a beautiful gift that is to the world. And so that's helpful, I think. That can be encouraging of us to, to cultivate, to cultivate, to purify our sila. That it's a beautiful gift. The world is not necessarily always a beautiful place. Maybe we think, oh, well, little old me, what am I doing? How can I change the world? We can be impeccable. You know, this is this is what we can offer. We can offer harmlessness. We can offer harmony. You know, there's plenty of disharmony in the world. You know, we can offer harmony, and we don't just offer it to the world. We're also offering it to ourselves, offering harmlessness and harmony to ourselves. is also a beautiful gift. Leads to balance. Leads to well-being. Leads to contentment. As we started, said in the beginning, it leads to happiness, leads to good fortune. And trusting in what the Buddha said, conduces with and leads to eventually Nibbana. So, as we started off by saying, Tasma Silang Misotie, may Sila be purified, be developed. Thank you very much for your attention. Antamayam tamadatasa tukaram tatamase